So last week, if you were here, there was a moment where I was kind of poking fun at, at the bulletin that I grew up in where there was like an order of service, and if communion was there, you knew it was going to be a longer service. If there was an order of service this morning, it would say Sermon 1, and then some songs, and then Sermon 2. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a long morning. So we're going to jump into Sermon 1, and we'll talk for a little bit, because we need to set up kind of our series for the summer, and then we're going to sing a little bit, and then we're going to come back for Sermon 2, and, and relax, they're not 20 minutes each, so... Uh, we want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, um, and if you have a good old-fashioned paperback Bible, or if you have an electronic one on your phone, uh, it's the same thing, believe it or not, uh, and Luke chapter 5, you can kind of follow along with us there, and this is this great story that we're going to work through, because there's a heart revealed in this text that speaks to the whole kind of coming summer series, and we want to work through kind of in a short devotional way what we see here in this text that will be the key piece that holds this all together um, through the summer. Um, there, this is a story uh, of Peter and Jesus calling um, some of his disciples. And for a first century individual, um, fishing was a big deal. Uh, their setting day would be substantially larger than our setting day here on PEI. Uh, fishing was a fundamental aspect to their entire agrarian economy. Some of Jesus' first followers were professional fishermen. Uh, there's a slide here just so you can kind of see uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And just, just so you know, if you're reading through your scriptures, pending your translation, it, it might talk of the Sea of Galilee as though it's the Sea of Tiberias or Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Gennesaret. It's the same place, just multiple titles describing the same location. If you grew up in the towns of Gennesaret or Chorazin or Capernaum, Bethsaida or Magdala, this is what you did. This is what your father did. This is what your father's father did. It was a space of historic professional fishermen, and this is all they did kind of for their life and livelihood. And this is where Andrew, James, John, Peter, this is what they did for livelihood. This is, was their economic driving force. So when we read about Simon Peter in Luke 5, we are talking about a well-trained, seasoned professional. And Peter has come ashore after finishing up a long night of fishing. And this long night of fishing did not produce anything after a long, tiresome night of fishing. And he runs into the unknown character to him at this point, a guy named Jesus. And Jesus says to him, and this is in Luke 5, chapter 4, it's on the screen, um, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I want you to feel this moment that sometimes we don't feel when we read through the scriptures. Peter is tired. He is no doubt frustrated. And some clown on the shore, some hack, has just told me how to fish. Imagine being a potato farmer or a painter or a, or a roofer or a framer or a software developer. And you've just punched in an incredibly long, exhausting day with no results for your labor. And I show up, or some guy shows up and says, hey, you should do this. There's a, there's a moment that I, I want you to feel in your soul, because chances are we would want to throw that person overboard, run them over with our tractor, or something along that space where this is what I do, and you're a stranger to me, and now you've just told me what to do. I've come in after eight hours or 12 hours of fishing, and you're telling me to put down the nets. 
shocker. Like this is, I know how to fish kind of moment. There's a rub here that if we miss, we miss the significance of this moment in Peter's life. And we can't be fooled by Peter's response. Peter in Luke 5 says, Master. Now listen, this is simply Peter being polite. This is not Peter speaking to Jesus as though he is his master. Peter at least recognizes that the group that Jesus is teaching would signify that this is some kind of rabbi who has some followers that Peter can at least see and acknowledges that. This is not a, you are my master and I am following you. This is simply a, I understand you're some guy that has some influence, hence the word master. And then he goes on, and this is the point and the tone I want you to hear. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And this next line, some of my favorite writers and authors go on to suggest that if Peter doesn't say what he says next, we probably never read of Peter again in the Gospels. Peter goes on, and, and, and hear this well, especially if you're a man. Peter is someone, and I need you to, to remember who he is. Peter is someone who acts before he thinks. This is the, I got out of the boat and walked on water, and I didn't think it through well, and then I looked around, and everything was kind of falling in around me, and I began to sink. Peter is the one who, through violence, thinks he can solve problems, hence the ear moment with Jesus. Um, he's the speak before he listens guy. Uh, I'll never deny you, even though Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Like, this is, this is the Peter that we're dealing with. This is the one who argues before he learns. He's arguing over who's going to sit next to you. Um, this is Peter. This is this guy in this moment after being given a word of instruction from a stranger, put down your nets, and his response is one of, we've hard, worked hard all night long. This is Peter, a well-trained professional fisherman, a man's man, so to speak, and he has just been given this from an unknown rabbi named Jesus that we know. And no doubt when he hears this from Jesus, put down into deep water and let down your nets, through kind of almost gritting teeth, he says, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is the moment that I want us to focus on this morning, but kind of every week, because it really sets up the whole theme of our summer series. Peter in this moment, in a wonderful way, is demonstrating what it is to be a follower of Christ to be a person of faith who trusts Jesus. I don't know what happened in this moment. The text doesn't say it. I don't know if there's this moment of, of locking eyes between Peter and Jesus. I don't know if Peter has this deep sense of there's something unique or special about him at all. But I don't, I don't know other than something inside of Peter compels him to do exactly what he says. So he goes out and he puts down the nets and he has this incredible catch that he has to bring his friends in to help get it into the boat and made his day. Peter, in real time, demonstrates to us what it means to submit to Jesus Christ, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to by faith, and this is the part that sometimes Protestants struggle with, to by faith, 
put into practice Jesus' words of instruction. Jesus in this moment shows us what grace looks like. So there's Peter in this text doing what Jesus asks him to do. Submission, faith, trust. And then there's Jesus telling Peter what to do. And so often we forget or have never really been told Jesus telling him to go out into the deep water and put down the... This is grace towards Peter. Jesus doesn't have to say this. He doesn't have to give this instruction. He doesn't have to set up the moment that will forever change Peter's life. This is called God's grace to Peter in this moment. Our summer series is going to highlight a number of areas of life where we might find ourselves to be in a similar situation to that of Peter. You might actually be the professional in the room. You might actually be the well-researched, informed person because this is a weird hobby of yours and you really care passionately about a particular thing or area of life. You might be the self-declared expert on any particular topic or theme that we just navigate through as human beings. And that person, like Peter, you're going to be confronted with a word of instruction from Jesus. Our goal throughout this summer is to put these words before you where we might have the ability to grow in our own, our own phrasing of because you say so, I will. Because you are asking me, I will. Even if you are the professional, you would be like, okay, this, I've worked hard all night. I'm a little annoyed that you've asked me to do this, but because you've said so, I will do this. Our goal is that we might grow in our understanding that these words of instruction that we've been given, this is actually God's grace on our life. It's not law. It's God's grace on our life. Jesus doesn't have to tell us the kind of life that leads us into a space of flourishing. That you might grow in your understanding of that your ability to even do the things that Jesus is asking you to do is actually God's grace on your life. All of this is a space of God's grace. That you might grow in your ability to recognize how the Holy Spirit that God gives to us is the space of the, the very thing we need to do what Jesus is asking us to do. And that our response to these words would just grow and increase. This is your faith at work. Faith is not idle. Faith is not stagnant. Faith is not something that's ethereal. Faith is something that is real and it is visible and it is seen as we learn to grow and trust in the one who gives the words of instruction, and our hope through the summer is that our whole disposition would be one that says, I don't quite understand, but because you say so, I will. So with this fishing moment in mind where Jesus kind of asks Peter, go out into deep water and put down your nets, um, and Peter's response is, because you say so, I will, there's this conversation of, of gratitude and thankfulness that we're going to kind of dive into together today. And there's going to be a moment where I'm going to press on you this, this tension-filled, because you say so, I will. Because you're asking me, I will respond to the words that you're saying. Before we begin talking about thankfulness or gratitude, there is an elephant in the room that we want to highlight. And that really speaks to the kind of the climate and culture that we are all in. 
that we are all susceptible to, and I think over the last two years has actually like brought this to the surface in a way that, that Canadians didn't really know they had the capacity to be. You know, we're the kind country, we're the nice country, we're the polite country. Well, that's up for debate now. I would suggest to you that as a people, we're not actually thankful for much. We're a people who are deeply entitled. We are a people who deserve or think that we deserve things, that we are owed things. And the ugly truth to this is that these dispositions of entitlement and thinking that we deserve things or that we're owed something, it robs a person of even growing in the ability to be truly thankful. It steals from them joy, and it steals from them the spirit of thankfulness that God ultimately wants to grow in the heart of his sons and daughters. It steals from us the ability to be appreciative for the goodness of God in our life and the goodness of God in how he's placed other people in our life. And it results, if not dealt with, in a life that just grows to become more and more and more bitter as we grow older. I want to show you what this looks like in multiple different angles. In my own life... After the first nine to ten months of COVID, many of you would, would say to me, it's been really hard, hasn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it's been really hard. And then the follow-up is like, you deserve to have a break. I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Little did you know that that word of encouragement, of recognizing that it's hard and recognizing that it's been difficult and, rec- and just kind of affirming that, there began to grow a sense of like, I do deserve a break. And no one's giving me one. And when vacation finally arrived, it was weird when you realized that you're actually not thankful for this. You think that you're owed this. And in this moment, it it steals from me, the person, the ability to be thankful for a church that actually gives time off. Because there's some out there that don't. There's some out there that require very rigid responses to where and when you work in the office and how many office hours you put in and incredibly strict, rigid environments. And my heart had grown into a space of one that felt entitled or deserved. And it was a very humbling moment when you recognize this in yourself. Several years ago, coaching volleyball next door, we had a player. Her cheer was this. And the cheer would always come when the gym was the quietest. She would say, let's go, girls. We deserve this. And after like several times, I'm like, why does this cheer sound so bad? And after several kind of like, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts, there's this moment of timeout, and we pull the players in, and I'm like, don't ever say this again. Because they deserve this as much as you do, because they're working just as hard as you. In fact, <laughs> the one who's saying it, like, you don't work that hard. Like, like, you don't work that hard. Like, they actually deserve this more than you because they're putting more effort in on the other side. That's why we're losing. That's why it's, all these things are unfolding. This sense of deserve, the sense of I'm owed, it's everywhere. CBC Radio, several weeks ago, there was this um, person on. They're talking about how every Canadian deserves to be financially free. This, is, this blew my mind. That financial freedom is a human right. You can hear the tone. There's this kind of undertone of just being angry that this isn't true in our country. How frustrating it must be to live in a world where you are blind to the space that money is the space where you find freedom. In our country, we live in this beautiful space where we have a healthcare system that's free. And ironically, we 
believe it's owed to us. We're entitled and we're bitter when we don't get in as fast as we want. And we are blind to the reality that that's not a normal practice in the populated world. It's little things like maternity leave. It's an amazing blessing because most countries this isn't their space. It's everywhere. Given COVID-19, just to really press on some nerves this morning, as you come into a summer which looks to be pretty much normal, are you of the spirit of, like, it's about time, or are you thankful? Because there's lots of places still, this isn't what's going on in their country. This isn't going on in their town. Just to tease that out of you. GST rebates and child tax credits that we receive. Do you think you owe this? That you're entitled to this? If so, you have no idea how rare this is in the context of a global community. Robs us from the ability of saying thank you and being appreciative for the place that God has placed you and where you live. Here's my three favorites, just to really drill down on this culture of entitlement. There's a general rule out there that says if you work hard from the bottom, you'll slowly work your way to the top, and you will kind of reap the rewards of your hard work and labor. But ironically, there is this shift happening where that phrase, that's true, but I don't want it to apply to me. Like, I don't want to actually work hard. I don't want to put in the long hours on the front end of my business. I want to be gifted or given because I'm somehow owed this because my grandparents worked really hard and now I just want to sit back and enjoy all of that stuff. You feel put out when a person asks a favor of you, but you're deeply annoyed when they don't respond to your request. There's a heart issue here. To the person that just disregards rules that are intended for everybody's comfort and safety, but ironically that rule doesn't apply to you. Do not enter. Well, I'm going to enter. You've invited me to enter by the sign that says do not enter. Private property, stay off. My brother Paul, who would have a sign that would read, truck passers will be shot, survivors will be shot again. Like that's kind of his heart issue that he has to work through. You go to a theater. We went to the, to the theater for the first time in years on last Friday night. And, and on the big screen, like, don't put your feet up on the back of the chair in the one in front of you. I run, I, and I was unaware that my foot was already there, like on the chair. And I'm like, oh, and you kind of pull the feet up. But there's all kinds of ways in which we see this, I deserve, I'm owed, I'm entitled. And it's just rife in our culture. And, and unfortunately, it's rife inside the very people of God. All of this conversation of entitlement and deserve and owed, it's the stuff that robs us from the ability of being thankful. It steals from us joy. It deconstructs the human heart that God has redeemed for those of us that love Him into a heart of bitterness. It defines our culture and it's all over the place. Now, we'll park the conversation of culture for a moment and I want to jump into how we navigate this through the lens of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's some passages of Scripture that I want you to really see on the, on the screen, whether you want to kind of highlight it in your Scriptures this morning or kind of highlight it with your phone or whatever the case might be. But this is the, the moment of like, you're asking me to go out into deep water and let down my nets, and because you say so, I will. This is the turn that's happening here in, the, in this moment. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Just let these phrases sink in for a moment. Rejoice when? Always. Give thanks when? In all circumstances. And there's moments where people are like, I don't know what God's will is for me. Well, here's where we start. You give thanks for the spot that you're in, because that is God's will for you to be thankful for whatever spot you're in. So we need to stop that, that weird game of like, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. Well, whatever we want to go, or wherever we want to go in that conversation, let's start with, it is God's will for you, son, daughter of the living King, that regardless of the spot you're in, we rejoice always. We give thanks continually. We have this space of thankfulness regardless of where we are. What I'd like to do at this moment is kind of direct us to Christ Himself because He lived this out in His own life. And we focus on Him. We see this text kind of come to life through the person of Jesus Himself. Jesus gives thanks for the fishes and loaves He receives. And if you know the story, it's woefully short of what's needed. Like, if that's me, I'm like, mm, five and two, like, do the math. Like, but Jesus gives thanks to His Heavenly Father for the provision that He has provided in this moment. In Matthew 11 and in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives thanks to His Father, and this is a weird one, that the Father has actually hidden these things from some ears that they may not understand. He is thanking His Father that the Father has purposefully hidden things from their understanding. And Jesus thanks Him for that. In John 11, we find Jesus outside the tomb of Lazarus, and once Lazarus has been raised, Jesus gives thanks to His Father for the resurrection of His good friend. In Luke chapter 22, so that last story would be like a great, well, of course Jesus is going to give thanks to his father after he raised his friend from the dead. Well, then we go to the other side of the bookend where Jesus in Luke 22 is thanking God for the fruit of the cup that they're drinking, the wine that ultimately Jesus knows is his life. Thanks God for his friend Lazarus that's been raised from the dead. Praise God for this. Thank you, God, for the fruit of the wine, the cup, a.k.a. my life and blood that's going to be shed for the redemption of all. Thank you for this moment that's coming. We see this space of thankfulness in Jesus' life wherever He goes, and we see it also in the early church. This is a mantra that kind of shapes all of Paul's writing. In Colossians chapter 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. In Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In James chapter 1, verse 2, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for, for, for great joy. And you're like, oh, the New Testament. But this is even true in the Old Testament. And you get into some of the places in the Old Testament, there's very little for God's people to really thank Him for, given where they end up as you move through the narrative when they're in exile and when they're in oppression and when other nations, God has allowed them to come in and ruin and destroy God's own people. And you see a space of thankfulness even in that space in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, 
His mercies never will come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This spirit of thankfulness, this is a person who actually is growing in Christ. Someone who actually loves the Lord. Like this is part of the fruit of the Spirit that's at work in us. That this becomes a habit in our life that we have cultivated by faith through the grace of God, equipped through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would learn to do this well for the glory of God. And we in the West, we have some work to do in this area. It's humbling to watch Christians in Ukraine gather for worship and sing songs called Mighty to Save when their cities are being destroyed. I I did find it ironic that the church quieted its banter around all the stuff of COVID-19 when that started to surface online. It's like, oh, that's much worse than us. We should stop talking about how bad we have it. And yet that group of Christ followers, and it's not unique to Ukraine. You can go to Syria. You can go to Yemen. You can go to China. You can go to places where individuals are legitimately persecuted for the like legitimately persecuted for their faith, and yet they have it in them to say thank you to God for where they live, the country they, they find themselves in, the provision that God continues to give day in, day out, day in, day out, in circumstances and spaces that many of us would just kind of be crushed under the weight of. Cultivating a spirit of thankfulness. This is not an option. This falls into the categories of because you say so, I will. These are words of instruction that we have been given from Jesus Himself. And again, this is God's grace on our life. This is not like law that we have to like live up to. This is God's grace on our life. That He says, be thankful in all circumstances. He doesn't have to tell us that this actually is a space that is linked to when He says, I have come that you might have life and life to its full. That when you follow Me, like you'll find rest and you'll find joy in all of these aspects. It's linked to all that He is, all that He says. And this is God's grace to us that He begins to unpack what it means to follow Him. And creating a space of thankfulness and gratitude is a part of that. And we can start with, and we do this well as Protestants, we start with, we pause around communion, we thank God for giving His life dying on the cross and all of the beautiful spaces that Calvary creates for us to reflect on and talk about, and we're grateful for that. And But so often, that's where it ends. We think that's all that our thanks is. Well, no, it's, it's much more than that. That actually is just a doorway in to a life of thankfulness, knowing and seeing how God works in our time and space and in our lives. To do this, it does require some focus on our part. It requires help from the Holy Spirit. This is, no question, a moment-by-moment thing. We as a follower of Jesus Christ must take the time and cultivate by the Spirit of God that lives in us a spirit of thankfulness. And we do this by taking a few moments every day to thank God for both the little things and the big things. It's primarily going to happen through our prayer and through our praise. We thank Him for the vacation that we have been given. Not because we're entitled to it. Because it's a gift from God through the people that you work with and for. We thank Him for a healthcare system. Yes, not perfect, but we have to stop believing that we're entitled to this. 
because it's a gift to live here in this place in this time. If Acts 17 is true, God is the one who has placed you where you live that we might seek Him and find Him and reach out for Him. We thank Him for the food on our tables. Whatever kind of food that might be. It could be craft dinner. It could be an incredible steak. Whatever it is, we learn to say thank you. It's called grace for what we are eating on this particular day. I have some relatives, and I will not name them because they might actually be watching this, but they'll know who they're talking about. I remember early, this is one of the formative moments of my life. We're at McDonald's with said aunt and uncle and family, and, and we say grace, and they don't. And, and my aunt's like, we don't say grace at McDonald's because we're not thankful for this food. <laughs> and anyway, it was kind of in jest, and it was kind of fun. And anyway, I've remembered that for a long, long, long time. Cultivating a spirit of thankfulness. This is not an option for us. This is in the category of because you say so, I will. And it begins in the little things and it kind of moves over into the very big things. When COVID first arrived, this spirit of complaining and entitlement and arguing was just pushed to the forefront of every dialogue, whether it was online or in person, whatever the case might be. A pastoral colleague of mine, his name is Peter Beckwith, he pastors a church in Mactquack in Brunswick. He began a series right away in COVID called The Positive Post. And all he did, so he explained it kind of day one, and then every day he would take some random picture and he would just post it on his Facebook page. And this is a picture of something he's thankful for. And over the last seven days, this is his positive post. So in the top left corner, this is his wife, Kathy Curry, and their dog looking out the window, thankful for his wife and his dog. Next picture is tulips that's growing in his front yard. The next picture is a series of bikes. One of them is his that he rides with a group of men in this church. The next one is a Camaro. I have yet to ask him if it's his, but anyway, it's Camaro. He's thankful for sports cars. The next picture is Peter with his daughter on his four-wheeler as they drive through the backwoods of New Brunswick. The next picture is just apple blossoms on a tree next door. And the last one is Lay's potato chips. It's cultivating a spirit of thankfulness. This is a meaningful example of what this looks like in a world that just doesn't celebrate the little things well as it relates to God's provision and how God watches over and cares for us and blesses us. To you and I this morning, the sons and daughters of Christ, this matters. It matters so much that Jesus, out of love for you and for me, out of His grace towards us, He comes to us and says, if you're mine, if you have signed up, if you are on my team, if you are by faith following me, you need to learn to give thanks in all circumstances. You need to learn to praise your Father in Heaven for everything that you have in your life. Why? Well, there's two things, and we'll finish with this. One, when I begin as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm an infant follower of Jesus Christ. I would be immature. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just kind of beginning the journey, so to speak. And my heart is then formed through time as a follower of Jesus Christ. As I, by faith, learn to do, learn to put into practice all that Jesus is asking me. And these things, these words of instruction, this actually is linked to our heart for our heart's sake. There's that space that Jesus talks about, the parable of the sower and the seed, where the, you know, the farmer throws out seed and, and there's four soils and, 
and the first two, like, that heart doesn't last very long. Like, make, make no mistake, there is a lion roaming looking for people he can destroy, looking for people that he can take out, looking for individuals that he can absolutely pillage from the inside out. This is one of the ways that Jesus says, like, put these things into practice so that your hearts and minds can stay focused on the one who is the giver of good gifts. You as a person, me as a person, I will grow in either someone who is deeply thankful when I die or someone who is quite bitter, grumpy, and entitled. There's no, like, middle. You will either be deeply appreciative for the 80 years that God gives you, or you'll look back and like, man, I, I didn't get what I was owed. I didn't get what I deserved. I, I missed out on so many things. Your heart's at stake in this moment of be thankful. And our response must be as Peter, because you say so, I will, I will do this by faith. And then number two, this ties into our sense series, your witness, our witness together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our witness matters, how we speak and how we talk and how we give thanks in a very public world. This stuff matters. And, uh, and, and I'll describe two persons, and you tell me the one that you like being around. And if this is your spouse, my apologies. It is awesome to be around someone that is thankful for everything. Sometimes it's a bit annoying that really you're thankful for all of that, like for Lay's potato chips, but it's awesome to be around someone that is just constantly thanking God for the many blessings in their life. To constantly be around someone who's thanking God for the situations that are in that are not pleasant to be in. I love being around that person. I want my heart to be formed in the similar ways that their heart is formed. I want to be able to see how I can praise God in the middle of sickness and or death. I want to be able to see how to thank God for whether it's the high, like God just raised my best friend from the dead moment, but also the moment that is deeply troubling and I don't know the future and what it holds for me that I can praise and thank God in that space. It's amazing to be around that person. It is awful to be around someone that just complains all the time. It is awful to be around someone that just continually talks about how they didn't get theirs and how they were kind of messed over there and they missed out there. It is just, after a while, you're like, mm, unfriend. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. Because it just robs and ruins and it's like a wet blanket over a beautiful sunny day. I do think most people, particularly when they're younger, I do think they want to grow up to be someone who's deeply thankful. And, and the way that that happens is they begin to recognize who Jesus Christ is. And it begins with recognizing who He is and what He's done for you, what He's invited you into. We're not owed any of this. We're not entitled to any of this. We're not going to work our way into any of the things that Jesus has afforded us through His life, through His death, and through His resurrection. It is just God's grace to you that out of love he has come to this world, that he's given his life, that he's been raised, and it's freely given. Hey, if you want to live, you follow me. And all the things that you cannot do, I will bring about in your life, not because you're owed, not because you're good, not because you're entitled, not, 
You just follow me. It starts with a heart that has responded to Jesus Christ and what he has done. And that's just the first step into this incredibly beautiful life of a follower of Christ. There's moments where Jesus comes to his sons and daughters and says, go out into the deep water and put down your nets. And we will find ourselves being like Peter. I'm like, who are you to tell me this? You're a guy who lived in the first century and you didn't have these problems. You didn't have these dynamics that you had to work through. You didn't know. You didn't understand. And Peter is no different than you and I. It's like, I am, the, I am the professional fisherman. I have just finished 12 hours working through the night on the Sea of Galilee. But because you say so, I will do this. If he doesn't do this, this act of faith of because you say so, he will miss out on the moment that changes the rest of his life. If you know the story, like, fish are coming into, like, they're jumping into his boat. Many of us, and we'll close with this, many of us, Jesus has been saying, I'm inviting you to do this. And you're like, I can't. Because I don't think you know what you're talking about. And you're missing out on things that he has in store for his sons and daughters. Would you pray with me? And then Dana and team are going to lead us to another song. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this scene in Luke's Gospel is just a picture of your grace and love for your people where you are inviting us into things that we do not deserve. And in every moment of our lives, particularly as a son, daughter of Christ, as we engage your word, your text, your scriptures to us, we are going to be confronted with your words of instruction. And we don't view them, or we shouldn't view them, as though it's some law that we have to obey to be good enough. Like, that ship has sailed. Like, I am not going to be good enough. But you gather these people in Matthew 4, and it's a, it's a crowd of ordinary people, misfits, Everybody's there, and you, and you go through this incredible sermon. And you end with this incredible line that says, wide is the pathway that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And the narrow way is linked to you, to you alone, and your way of life that you invite us into. And we have to become familiar with the phrase, the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, they are the life that's built on a rock. They are the house that's built on a rock. And when the rains come and the winds blow, they'll be fine. Because you say so, I will. Because you invite me into this. I will do this. I will trust you. It might not, it might not make sense. It might not... Oh, it might invite us into the most terrifying places that we could ever go. And you're bringing us in. You're inviting us in through your grace that we might love you more, participate with you deeply, and celebrate you at every turn of our life. In your name we pray. Amen.